The following audio was recorded at Stone Oak Bible Church and is part of our series in 1 John. For previous messages or for more resources, visit us at stoneoakbible.com. Good morning, church. Uh, Anybody here love to do puzzles? Are there any puzzle fanatics? I don't know what you give yourself a title of, of like a puzzle lover. Um, If you are, there should be some puzzle pieces in your seat. Um, If you aren't currently holding on to them, that means that you have sat upon them. Um, And whenever you leave, be sure someone kind of dusts those off. Um, Our family loves to do puzzles. Uh, And by our family, I specifically mean my son, my son Grayson. Grayson turns uh, four actually in a couple of weeks. Um, And since he was about probably two years old, the kid has just absolutely loved to do puzzles. And so it's something that is, is educational, of course, so we, of course, buy him all kinds of puzzles. If you come to our house right now, like right past our office, we have some bookshelves covered in books, and then there's like this little cubby cove area that literally has puzzles stacked up taller than he is. He loves to do them. He does them in a very interesting way, though, and we try to like show him like the right way to do a puzzle. And what's the right way to do a puzzle? What do you start with? The edge, correct. Grayson does not for some reason, start with the edges. And as many times I've been like, hey, son, listen, I've got a way that's a whole lot easier. You see these straight sides, Uh uh-huh. Begin with those, okay. And he grabs like a middle piece. I'm like, okay, that's not an edge, but I'm gonna watch you. And he puts puzzles together in a way where he like identifies patterns and colors. And of course, me being his father says, well, that's obviously, he's a genius. And that's the genius way to put puzzles together. And me, I'm doing it the cheater way. And he's a smart individual and a smart kid. So I'm going to encourage that with him. Um, For us, though, we have a family of two, excuse me, family of four, two kids. And I have an almost four-year-old and I have a two going on 18-year-old as well in the household. And if you're like me in our house with two young kids, there becomes a problem with puzzles. And this problem is I buy a thousand-piece puzzle, and I go and I put it all together, and it turns out I didn't actually buy a thousand-piece puzzle for some reason. I bought a 999-piece puzzle. There's a mixture of puzzles that happens within our house, and so you go to put the puzzle together, and it's, it's not a complete puzzle. There's a piece that's been missing out of this puzzle, and you only find that out, of course, after you've gone through and done the entire puzzle. And so if you're like me, I can't stand that. I I hate to have the piece missing. So then I've got to put together every puzzle within the house to figure out where the missing piece is. I've got to lift up all of the couch cushions. I've got to dig through the entire toy box to find where is this missing piece. You may be able to open up the other boxes and see if maybe it snuck into another box, but usually that piece is gone. And by this time now, I've got, instead of just one piece that... Instead of just one puzzle that's missing a piece, I now have all of my puzzles put together, and I see all of the missing pieces. As humans, we're kind of similar within this. We're all created with a desire to find this missing puzzle piece. It's as if we were all created, in fact, with a puzzle piece missing. It's as if we have this perfectly shaped puzzle piece that is this hole within our bodies that we're constantly trying to search and trying to find that one piece that just fits in there perfectly. The only piece that that fits in there perfectly, however, is Christ himself. Hold on to this idea. We're going to continue to walk through with this puzzle idea. Let me just take a quick second and tell you a little bit uh, about myself. Some of you are like, who is this guy? I am Craig. I'm the associate pastor here. Um, 
I hold my position because of uh, a number of reasons, but the main reasons I hold the position I do is because of my heart and my passion. My heart and my passion is for discipleship. Uh, it's what I, I believe God has granted me with gifts and talents so that I can pursue this in, in, for his glory. Uh, it's the reason that I went to seminary was so that I can become more educated in the process of discipleship. I grew up in a faith tradition um, that was decent at, at conversion, decent at converting sinners. We'd hold many classes on here's how to kind of present your faith. Here's how to present your testimony. Um, it was a, a great thing. We even had, if you're like me, you grew up in a, I grew up in a traditional church where on like the front wall, there was this board, this large wooden board that had categories with numbers that slid into it. Anybody realize what I'm talking about yet? And you'd have like numbers represented up there. And so the first one was usually like um, Sunday offering. And so it would tell you like how much we brought in for the last Sunday. And then it would be like Sunday school attendance. So here's how many people went to Sunday school. And then below that, it's like all church attendance. And so you'd see these numbers. And usually the last line on that board, represented by a black-backed, white-faced number, was uh, conversions or salvations or however that church chose to, to title it. And in our church, typically it would be a zero up there, but every once in a while, you'd see a one up there. And there'd be rejoicing within that church. And if you walk in on Sunday morning, you see that number go from zero to one. Praise God. He has done a work within someone's life and has brought them from death into life. Church, we as Stone Oak Bible, being a young church, have been able to see some magnificent changes within people's lives. Within even the past month, where people who were once dead are being brought to life within Christ. For my faith background, though, it stopped at that number. It stopped at that number one. From that point forward, it was kind of up to you. We were a church that was founded upon building baptisms and not a church that was founded upon building disciples. And it was represented in kind of what happened after you became a Christian. You were represented by that number one, and then good luck. Hope you make it. This is something that, that breaks my heart, uh, and it's something that I am very passionate about, and it's something that God has given me this desire to see lives transformed through the gospel. I believe that we are all called to make disciples. We are all called to become disciples. I want to see every single person in this world accept and to grow in Christ continually. Our text this morning looks at a specific aspect of after-conversion even. And before we get into our text, I've mentioned this a couple times. Um, we, we have a tendency, and I say we, theologians have a tendency to use very large words um, to, to represent ideas. It's one of the first things that I had to learn going into seminary is this is a totally different language than normal people use. Three words we're going to look at this morning, justification, sanctification, and glorification. Justification, sanctification, and glorification. Fun words. Last week, Justin pointed us towards justification. It says in our text, let what you heard from the beginning. What is the beginning? It was Christ. Christ is the piece of justification. It's the aspect that is able to save in Christ alone. Justification is a term that differs quite a bit within our city, though. Justification has different meanings depending on who you're talking to, depending on what style of church they're going to, and depending on their faith background. The, the book of 1 John here, he continues to make uh, the case that justification is 
complete. We can have confidence in the completion of justification. It's one of the biggest points of the Reformation, the time where, where we, we take what is current and we're trying to reform it and trying to bring it back, and they're, they're pointing back to Scripture. People lost their lives over this doctrine of justification. It's a huge point. Justification is complete at the time of salvation. Justification is a point. It is not a continual process, but it is a once and done aspect. It does not continue. After justification, though, comes sanctification. Sanctification is a process that is continual. It's complete only upon glorification, upon entering in with the Father. So justification, then sanctification, then glorification. This is where we might differ from others within our city. Uh, We have confidence and assurance that the work of Christ upon the cross has justified us. We aren't reliant upon our sanctification to satisfy any punishment of sin. Justification has justified us. Sanctification is us becoming more like Christ. Those within our city, some might look at justification and sanctification as a together process. That Christ has justified you, but you are continually being justified. And you're not completely justified until you reach glorification. Uh, The word sanctification means to be set apart for a holy purpose. It's growing more like Christ. It's, It's becoming more and more of who we were designed to be. Every individual is designed to worship. We are all created with this desire to worship something. Remember that puzzle piece. That puzzle piece that we are all born with, this whole that only one piece fits in there perfectly. Every individual throughout the known world has been trying to fill this puzzle piece, has been trying to worship whatever will fit perfectly within us. For some, that might be work. Uh, that might be your family. could possibly be money. could possibly be friends. could be uh, your title. Whatever it is, they're trying to, to work something into this perfectly shaped puzzle piece. Sometimes they try to take an item that's too big and to stuff it in there to get it to fit. Other times we take a piece that it looks like it fits, we eventually notice all of the gaps that are around there. It's this never satisfied. The hole is not quite perfectly filled. If you look at our world, we can see examples of this all over the place, of people trying to place whatever it is within their life and trying to fit it perfectly within this puzzle piece and becoming frustrated with whatever it is they're trying to fit within this piece, so much so that they then go on to another thing. Well, maybe this puzzle piece, if I really work hard at this puzzle piece, Maybe that will fit this hole and this void that I'm, feel, that, that I'm feeling. We as Christians know that our worship should be devoted to God, and we live amongst a world that's constantly trying to figure out who or what they should worship. If we look at the puzzle piece, it can help us understand this a little bit better. When we're justified through Christ, the perfect puzzle piece is perfectly placed in there and fills the hole completely. What was a hole and what you were searching for at the cross has been placed within there and has justified you. This new piece, though, looks a little bit different than the body that it was placed in. It's, it's new, it's shiny, it's beautiful. Sanctification is the process of taking the rest of us and getting it to match what was just placed within us. Our goal is that the person and the piece become indistinguishable. This only happens, however, at glorification. Realize this is an analogy, and there are flaws within it. Hopefully, it can help us understand the process a little bit better, though. Let's look at our text this morning. 1 John 
beginning in chapter 2, beginning in verse 28. I'll begin reading. And now, little children, abide in him, so that when he appears, we may have confidence and not shrink from him in shame at his coming. If you know that he is righteous, you may be sure that everyone who practices righteousness has been born of him. See what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God. And so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Beloved, we are God's children now. And what we will be has not yet appeared, but we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, because we shall see him as he is. And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I just thank you for your word. I thank you, Lord, for declaring yourself boldly to us through the scriptures. And Father, I pray that you would be with me as I proclaim truth, Father. Lord, I pray that you would remove me, Lord, and that your message would go forth. Father, I pray any distraction that I bring would be removed, Lord. I pray this all in your son's holy and precious name. Amen. We're given a first action here, beginning in verse 28. And now, little children, what's that next word? Abide. Abide is a, is a fun word uh, because it's, it's one of those words that's hard to define. Uh, we can see many different instances of what abiding looks like, and we'll take a look at one here in a second. But it's a, it's a tough word. What does abiding in Christ actually look like, though? What are some practical things that we can do to abide in Christ? Depending on your translation, this word might not even be abide. It might have been chosen to be translated as remain or even continue, which these are words that we're possibly more familiar with besides abide, remain, or continue possibly can help us. It's often helpful uh, at times such as this where we're presented with a word that we're unsure of, of possibly what its meaning could be within this instance. It's often helpful to go to other scriptures. Uh, whenever you see a, a text that is less clear, find a text that is more clear to help you understand it. One of the most famous sections of scripture regarding abiding in Christ is actually written by our same author here. It's found in John chapter 15. In this section, John is using the analogy of a vine. Uh, and it's going to help us understand the connection between us and Jesus regarding abiding. I'm going to read John chapter 15, uh, verses 1 through 11. Just follow on. L listen to the, the times you hear the word abide within this. John 15, uh, 1 through 11. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, fruit he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself, unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you, unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me, and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. By this, my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. 
These things I have spoken to you that, you, that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. He gives this analogy of a vine, and he shows that to abide is to remain in Christ. Well, that's confusing because abide can be transited as remain or continue. To remain in Christ, says here, is to constantly seek him. We can do nothing apart from the vine. We need to be connected to. We can do this through his word, as verse 7 and verse 10 of John 15 tell us. And God has chosen to reveal himself to us in his word. This is how we can come to know Christ, through his word. Whenever I hear texts such as this one, which, which give a, a word such as abide, um, I have a tendency to go very pharisaical. Um, within me, the way that I think and the way that I analyze things is very analytical. Um, I am very detail-oriented. I love checklists. And so whenever I hear something such as abide, my tendency is to create a list, to create a checklist of here is what I need to do to abide in Christ, things that are measurable. That's, that's my bread and butter. That's what I love to do. If I can measure it, then I can test, am I truly abiding in Christ? So for me, whenever I read a text such as abide in Christ, I'm instantly going to, here's what I need to do. Here's my checklist of abiding in Christ. One, am I continually seeking Christ's word? Yes, I can measure this. If I am, I can check that box, and I am on the process of abiding. Am I continually seeking the God who saves in prayer? If I am, excellent. I can check off that box. I go through this list to create a, a system for me of am I abiding or am I not abiding? One of the problems of, of that, though, is I don't see that here within our text, although those are definitely aspects of abiding, to abide is to remain in Christ. It's a little bit tougher for me. I have to fight against the urge to create a measurable checklist of my abiding. There are many aspects of abiding in Christ which aren't measurable. Abiding is a humbling of ourselves before God. It's, it's letting him lead to guide and to direct our lives through the Holy Spirit. I can't have a checklist of that. It, it's tough for me to say, Am I letting the Holy Spirit lead, guide, direct my life today? Absolutely check that box off. And two minutes later, I'm not. I'm not abiding in Christ at that moment. Abiding in Christ takes with it the idea of complete dependence upon God and not a complete dependence upon my measurable checklist. If you're like many Christians today and you aren't feeling like there's much sanctification, there's not much growth happening in your life, then it's simple. Seek Christ. That's what abiding here is. Seek Christ. If, if that's tough for you, seek those who are seeking Christ. We see Paul mention a number of times throughout his letters, imitate me. Why? Why would we imitate Paul? Well, because Paul is doing what he's hoping others will do, is imitating Christ. Are you able to say those same, same words of imitate me? Do you point enough to Christ that if those around you were to imitate you, they also would be pointing towards Christ? I'm a firm believer that sanctification happens best within community. Uh, I believe this because I've seen it within my own life. Uh, process of sanctification and discipleship can be a, a slow and tedious and painful thing. And it does require effort. This is counter to a quick fix society that we live in. John Owen, who is an English reformer, says this about sanctification. He says, The growth of trees and plants takes place so slowly that it is not easily seen. 
daily, we notice a little change. But in course of time, we see that a great change has taken place. So it is with grace. Sanctification is a progressive, lifelong work. It is amazing work of God's grace, and it is a work to be prayed for. I grew up within the church. I grew up within a Christian home. Um, I was granted that ability, and I praise God that I had godly parents who uh, directed me towards Christ at a very young age. I don't, however, remember a specific discipleship strategy. If you remember back to kind of my faith background, what was our discipleship strategy? Hope you get it. That was, that was the discipleship strategy of that church. Well done, you have gone from death into life, and it stopped. And it was, hopefully, somehow, you can continue on this process. We don't know how we're going to help you do that, but hopefully that does happen. It's not the best strategy for discipleship. Can it work? Yes. Is it the best? Probably not. Imagine, if you will, that this was the uh, way that I raised my kids. So, here they are. It's their birthday. Literal birthday. They are one day old. And I, as a parent, am not going to tell them, here's the standards that I have set for you. I hope you'll eventually get them. You're going to see whenever I'm really happy, do that more often. You're going to see whenever I'm really upset and you get punishment, don't do that more often. But I'm not going to tell you of what I expect. I just hope that you kind of get it. I hope that you figured it out. This is a poor way of parenting. If that's your parenting style, I suggest you, you talk to somebody about different ways you can possibly parent. They might learn my standards, but it's probably not the best way. My biggest growth as a Christian uh, was whenever I sat underneath three incredible men. Uh, three incredible men who probably nobody in here knows. There are three guys who uh, you don't see on billboards. Uh, there are three guys who weren't professors. Um, they're not three guys who you would even recognize off the street. They were just three individuals who pointed to Christ in amazing ways. They, they had an understanding of grace that I had never seen before. They had a, a way of, of proclaiming who Christ was in their life that was infectious to me. These three guys, I, I, I can't say enough about. They, they pointed to Christ in a way that I was like, I, I need to, to do what they're doing. I need to be who they are. I want to sit underneath them. And luckily, I had the opportunity. I was an intern with these guys for a year and a half. I'm still in connection with them. And what they did was they pointed to Christ and they pointed everyone else they knew to Christ as well. If we as the church want to see disciples being made, this is what we need to do, individually pointing to Christ and corporately pointing others around us to Christ as well. Why? Why should we continue to abide in him? Our text continues and gives us an incredible picture. John carries on the theme that we looked at last week of the second coming of Christ. Still in verse 28. And now, little children, abide in him so that when he appears, we may have confidence and not shrink from him in shame at his coming. We continue to abide so that when he comes, we may have confidence. Well, what is this confidence? What confidence do we hold? This isn't a confidence in what I have done. It's not a confidence in my own actions, but... It's a confidence in Christ. It's confidence in what Christ has done. It's confidence in my active passivity that we are justified through the Son. Now we're be continually becoming more like the Son. 
We have confidence that as we look at the tree of our spiritual lives, we see fruit. We have confidence that we have been good stewards of what he has entrusted us with. Christian, have you stewarded what God has given you well? Are you abiding in Christ? And do those around you see you abiding in Christ? I not only want to set an example for my kids of abiding in Christ, but I also want to be alongside them as we together are abiding in Christ. Neither one of my kids uh, have made a profession of faith, and it's something that uh, breaks my heart as a dad, but it's something I continually pray for is the salvation of my own children. I want them to see me and to see the joy of what abiding in Christ really looks like. If I could, let me get very practical with you. I have two books up here which our family uses. Um, one was kind of the idea behind it, and the other one was we use it every single day now. The first one's called Family Worship by Donald Whitney. Uh, great book. Second one, you've probably seen this one before, the Jesus Storybook Bible. Okay, Two books, love these. If you don't have kids, do not check out with me right now. This book is the Bible written in a way that kids can understand it. However, it is not written in a watered-down way that kids can understand it. This book has taught me truth. This is an extremely great book. This book, I highly suggest every single person in here goes out and buys this book, the Jesus Storybook Bible. Superb resource, and it has great pictures. So if you, if you are missing the pictures within your Bible... And some of them even go like vertical instead of horizontal. It's great, okay? So I suggest that what we use that book for, though, is I want my children to see what does abiding in Christ look like. And like I said, it does include things such as reading, such as praying, such as worshiping God through singing. This book by Donald Whitney is simply called Family Worship. As you can see, it's a pretty easy read. It'll take you an hour probably to chew through this book. And all that it does, it says, hey, the family is where this should all be beginning at. And I say, amen. And here's practically how you can do that. Like I said, I'm a very practical guy. Some of her books kind of are saying, here's how to do that. I'm like, yes, this is my kind of book. And it's three simple things. I'll give it to you so you don't even have to buy the book. Read, pray, and sing. Not individually, but as a family. As a family, gather around to read God's word, to pray together, and to sing the truths of Scripture. It's been monumental for our family, for both my wife and I, to see that our kids are beginning to understand, one, how to pray. Two, they're beginning to, to learn the songs that we sing, which is implanting Scripture within their hearts. And they're seeing that we hold this colorful Bible at a very high standard. Whenever it's family worship time, it's we're going to pay attention as much as we can with a two and an almost four-year-old. It's not the best scenario all the time. Sometimes we get through a page, and it's a that was last night, and it's a tough page to get through. Other times, we get through a, a story, which is three or four pages, and they're, they're begging for more. I want that. I want my children to see, here's how I am abiding in Christ. Here's how I am seeking Christ. And here is the, the foundational aspect that I hope my children will, will continue to do. If you don't have children, that doesn't mean you're off the hook for family worship. Okay? That means it should be a whole lot uh, more depth involved with it uh, and a whole lot less distractions involved with it as well. Uh, two books, Family Worship, Donald Whitney, and the Jesus Storybook Bible. I suggest everybody in here picks them up, goes through them, and reads them because they are great, great resources. John here has a continual theme uh, throughout this letter. It's a theme of assurance 
based upon our current circumstances. We've seen this mentioned a couple of times that we have assurance based upon our current circumstances. We have assurance that one day when Christ returns, we can stand in confidence. We can hold this confidence because we see the Holy Spirit working within our lives, sanctifying us. Sanctification gives us assurance. We can look at ourselves like looking more like the puzzle piece. And we are reminded the puzzle piece is still there. We're becoming more like Christ because Christ first came to us. Sanctification is a tough process. It's going to rub against many ways. It's when we're constantly relying upon Christ through God's word by the Holy Spirit to refine in us this new nature. Look at the next verse. We can see the theme of sanctification gives assurance until Christ returns. It can often be troubling when you're the only person doing something. You can feel alone. You can feel isolated. It can often make it times more difficult when you have to stand alone. Our text shows us, however, that we are not alone. If you know that he is righteous, you may be sure that everyone who practices righteousness has been born of him. Those that are practicing righteousness are doing so because they're trying to be more like Christ. These are our co-laborers. Sanctification is not meant to be practiced alone. Find those who look like Christ and join them. If you aren't currently in a community group, I highly suggest you explore that. If you are currently in a community group, what are you doing to spur one another along? Are you individually progressing in sanctification? And as a group, is our community group different than it was last year? Are we growing more like Christ in a a corporate level? We can rest in assurance of salvation based upon Christ's righteousness. If you're able to see glimpses of righteousness within your own life, it's not because of you, but it is because of Christ. We're not born as righteous creatures. We're born on the complete opposite spectrum of righteousness. If you see righteousness, it isn't because you have placed it there. It is a work of Christ through the Holy Spirit. Apart from Christ, the only thing we should see when we look at our lives are dead branches. By the grace of God, Christian, we see life. Why would God choose to do this within our lives? We definitely are not deserving of it. The act of becoming more like Christ, even even something I can do within my own strength, within my own power. Why has God granted this to us? Read verse 1 of chapter 3. See what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God, and so we are. It is because of his love. It is because of his love that we did not deserve. We get the right to be called heirs of God. This glorious doctrine within Scripture, it's simply known as the doctrine of adoption, that we who were once far off have been redeemed. You've probably read or seen this doctrine before, the doctrine of adoption. It changes, however, whenever you've gone through the process. I'll give you an example. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. I've heard this text many times growing up. It was a text that I understood and I felt. However... That text changed for me at the birth of my first child. Whenever I actually had my own son, I understood it in a much deeper and a much more emotional way. The act of giving up of my own child for people who did not deserve it, completely foreign, completely against that. I cannot understand that. Yet, it helps me to understand God the Father in a much different way. This doctrine of adoption 
is something I have not adopted a child. However, I can understand it head knowledge. I can, I can feel it. I like to call it Mike up here. I've had the privilege of, of walking through two adoptions, both with Justin and Candace whenever they adopted Matthias, as well as with Mike and Ariel uh, whenever they adopted Shannon. I want to give Mike just a couple of minutes here to speak on adoption, to hear from a father uh, who has adopted a child before. Mike, has your view of adoption changed since you have adopted Shannon? Absolutely, absolutely. I am, you know, probably about eight years ago, I really sensed through a series of circumstances that one day I would adopt. And Ariel and I were dating at the time and had a, had a conversation and, and knew that in the future we would, we would adopt. And didn't know when that would be, didn't know, um, you know, what stage of life we would be in, but we really sensed that that was what God would lead us to. And um, through a, a set of circumstances and just kind of the prompting of the, of the Holy Spirit, um, two years ago, uh, both of us were on the same page. And actually, I, independent of each other, we just sensed that it was the right time to adopt. So we had a great conversation and said, yeah, we're going we're gonna to do this. And, and um, we decided to adopt from Uganda. We had knew, known two families, kind of like Craig said, that we walked through the process with them and really sensed, hey, this is what God has led us to. This is where we're going to jump in and go for it. And, and I remember um, the first phone call I made to this agency, she said, you know what, I, I just have to tell you, I, I'm going to try right now, and this, this lady said to me, I'm going to try to talk you out of this because it is so hard. This is the director of the agency. I'm going to try to talk you out of this because it is so hard and it is so difficult. And I was like, yeah, you know what, we're ready. We want to go for it. We're in, man, this is, this is great. We're all about it. And she said, okay, well, then we'll accept you into the program, you know, fill this out. And literally we had, I mean, I'm not even kidding you, probably 800 to 1,000 pages of paperwork, background checks, fingerprinting. I mean, you name it, home studies, hours upon hours upon hours upon hours of, of training and going through the whole process. And, and it, was, it was a lot of time. It was energy. There were uh, of, um, different things in the process in Uganda especially um, that were unstable, an unstable government. And um, all this, these documents that Shannon needed on their end that weren't coming through and people flaking out. And, and, and finally, um, you know, we were matched with this little girl and began, you know, where we, they call it a referral, where we were referred to Shannon. And um, so to answer your question, you know, has my view of adoption changed? I think the answer is absolutely, because I didn't know what entailed what this process entailed and how costly it was. And, and um, not only was it financially costly, but the energy, the time um, to, to go. And so we, we flew over to Uganda in October and um, got to meet her. I know I really appreciate it. I stood right here before we met Shannon, and you all prayed with, uh, over us and with us. And so we flew over there and um, got in about 1 o'clock in the morning to our guest house and got up the next morning at 8.30 or about, about 7 o'clock and went to go meet her about 8.30 in the morning. And rolled up to this orphanage, and the, uh, the word for um, white person in Uganda is, er, in Luganda is Mzungu. So Ariel and I are these Mzungus, go into this orphanage. These kids have never met, I mean, maybe, maybe, I think they saw the director of our agency once, um, who was a white person. They've never seen white people, right? There's this goofy-looking white dude rolls into this orphanage, and I see Shannon standing on the step with the director of the, the agency, or the director of the orphanage, and we, we go in there, and she's, she's standing there, and I'm like, this is my daughter, and, and she has no idea. She has no idea. She's standing there, and she's in her little dress and the one clean dress that they, they had, and, and she's standing there, and we go up, and I look at her, and Ariel looked at her, and we, we both looked at each other. And we're like, this is our kid. This is our child. This is our child, and she doesn't even know it. 
She has no idea. She doesn't know about the 800 pages of paperwork we've done. She doesn't know about the literally hundreds of phone calls I've made. She doesn't know about the home study. She doesn't know about the tens upon tens upon tens of thousands of dollars that people gave to, to allow us to get to this point. And she's standing here, and this is my daughter. And I remember being so overwhelmed and so overcome. She's clueless as to the cost of this. And um, so, yeah, I mean, absolutely, you got to keep rolling with these questions. You're, yeah, you're great. Keep okay, going. so so then we, we go in and we meet her, and to be honest with you, she connected with my wife right away, and that's not the first time that people have liked my wife more than me, but, but um, we, so Shannon at first was scared of me. She hadn't seen me before. I'm this white guy. She's like, who is this guy? And I'm like, hey, I'm your daddy, and she's like, what? I don't even speak English. What in the world is going on? She, she cried herself to sleep at night when I, would, when I would try to hold her. She didn't want to be around me. It took about eight days um, for her to even, like, smile. And then I'd, like, walk into the room, and she's giggling with Ariel, and then she would just stop. And I'm like, I'm your father. Like, come on, you know, let's play. Let's be friends. Hey, I love you. And she, she resisted me, and she had no idea, no clue. And um, I know you had another question, will not you? So, so for those of us who haven't gone through the process of adoption, right. is there one thing that you wish that we could, could feel or know about the process of adoption? Yeah, so, so back to that, I, I ended up staying. Ariel was there for two, two and a half weeks with me, and then I stayed an extra week. And then I went back um, for a month. And so it was just Shannon and I together for five weeks. And I remember one night, um, she was crying herself to sleep because she was struggling. And again, I mean, I don't blame the kid. She was in this orphanage, and she didn't know anything different. And, and you know, we came in, and I'm like, no, but look, we're going to be able to, to love you and nurture you and care for you. And she, she you know, has no idea. So she's crying herself to sleep. And then I Skyped our other two girls, um, Karis and Taya. And Karis is crying because she missed me. And so I'm like, I got one kid crying because she doesn't like me. I got another kid crying because she misses me. And I put my head in the pillow, and I was just, I was just, you know, I started to cry. And I, I remember saying audibly, Shannon finally was sleeping in the crib next to me, and I, thought, I said out loud, I said, God, this is so costly. Like, this costs so much, and she doesn't understand it. And I felt like in that moment, like, now you get it, Michael. You know, and there's a song we sing sometimes in church, Here I Am to Worship, and there's a line that says, you'll never know how much it costs to see my sin upon that cross. You know, and I, I think, and, and right there, it was like those words just washed over me, and I thought, I will, I will never get it. Like Craig said, I understand, yeah, I'm an adopted child of God. This is great. Oh, I get it. But, but I don't, and I can't understand it, and I can't understand the depths, and Shannon will never understand what we went through, and I don't care. I don't want her to understand. I'm never going to lord that over her because I love her, and she's my little girl. And so the first thing I would just say is the cost of it. It is such a costly process, and God went through so much to welcome us into his family that we can never understand it. But the second thing I would say is security. I love Shannon. I love her. There is no difference between Karis and Shannon and Taya and the love. They're all different. And yes, you know, I, I, I feel um, differently about all three of them as far as the way I relate to them and the different, love different things about each of them. But there is no difference in her standing as a daughter versus my biological children. And I love her so much. I would give my life for her. I'm crazy about this kid. So the second thing is security. She didn't do anything to merit this. She didn't do anything to earn this. She just was there, and we went, and we took her, and we welcomed her in, into our family. And she is secure because she is my daughter, and I love her, and I am crazy about this kid. And I am so happy, and it has just been so amazing to see her respond to the love, and, and she knows it now. She knows. 
She doesn't know what we went through, but she knows that I'm her daddy. She knows that Ariel's her mommy and that Karis and Taylor are her sisters, and she is a craft, and it is hilarious. If you ever get a chance to talk to her and listen to the way she says her last name, it's hilarious. But um, she knows her identity is a child of God, and she or ch- is, our, is our daughter, which has helped me understand my identity as a child of God, that I am secure in God's family. I don't know the depths of what God went through, but I know that I'm his, and I'm thankful for that. Excellent. Thanks, Mike. I think it's, it's helpful at times that we can get an individual such as Mike that's gone through this process of adoption to kind of help me specifically understand, as much as I still cannot, understand the depth that he went through here upon earth of adopting Shannon helps me to understand what, what God has done on my behalf. Let's continue here in our text. Since we are now children of God, we should strive to be like him and to purify ourselves until his return. Just to mention last week that we're still in this last hour. We're still in this time of already but not yet. We're still here upon this earth. We have a purpose to fulfill still. We need to view the present with the eternal at the forefront of our minds. We'll one day be like him, but that isn't here yet. It's important that we live this life in light of eternity, though. The author C.S. Lewis says this about this idea. He says, if you read history, you'll find that the Christians who did the most for the present were just those who thought most of the next. The apostles themselves, who set on foot the conversion of the Roman Empire. The great men who built up the Middle Ages. The English evangelicals who abolished the slave trade. All left their mark on earth, precisely because their minds were occupied with heaven. It is since Christians have largely ceased to think of the other world, they have become so ineffective in this. Hope in him. Hope in him because he is pure. Follow after Christ. There's a time coming when everything will be made new. The time is not here yet. Sanctification gives us assurance until Christ returns. Justification, sanctification, glorification. Our sanctification gives us assurance in our justification until glorification. Christ's work in your life should give you confidence in Christ's work upon the cross. As you leave today, feel free to grab those puzzle pieces. Hold on to them. Let it be a reminder of you being justified through Christ. Let it be a reminder that the work of becoming more like Christ is still happening. Let it be a reminder that one day, we will join with Christ in glorification. I'd like to end our time with a quote from, from John Newton. Uh, if you're unfamiliar with John Newton, you most likely are familiar with his work. John Newton is the author of Amazing Grace. So Amazing Grace is the song that many churches sing constantly. Um, John Newton is an interesting guy, though. So John Newton was on a, a slave ship. He was a slave ship uh, not captain, but he worked on the, the slave boats. That their job would be to uh, take the, the slaves and to then ship them uh, to their final destination, wherever that was. These slave tr- ships were, were terrible, terrible atrocities. They were uh, packed man upon man um, in, in the worst circumstances. Majority of the men would either die on the trip or wherever they got, at the end, they would be unhealthy. John Newton had his life, however, gripped by the truth of the gospel. And it's out of this, this radical life change, that he wrote the song Amazing Grace. 
It's also out of this that he, he wrote this quote, which will end our time this morning. I am not what I might be. I am not what I ought to be. I am not what I wish to be. I am not what I hope to be. But I thank God I am not what I once was. And I can say with the great apostle, by the grace of God, I am what I am. As the band comes forward, let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, I just thank you, Father. I thank you for your truth of Scripture. I thank you, Lord, for the justification that we have received from Christ upon the cross, Lord. Father, that as Mike has presented us the story of adoption, Lord, and even him going through the earthly process of adoption doesn't understand everything that, that you have done through Christ to redeem us, Lord. Lord, I pray that, that we would not forget the price that, that you have paid with your son upon the cross in my stead. Father, and as we continue in this journey of sanctification, of becoming more like your son, Lord, I, I ask for individuals who would would grab those around them and point them to Christ. Father, I pray that every single one of us, every single day, is, is seeking who you are. Father, I pray that we could abide in you. Lord, we, we thank you for the process of sanctification and for giving us, through this process, the assurance of the death of Christ upon the cross for a covering of my sin. And Father, we stand today as a glorified people, hoping, Lord, for the eternal glory that comes through, through ultimately living with you, Father. Lord, come quickly. It's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen.